So over the last few weeks, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. And as you know, we go through verse by verse. So we read through the Gospel and I preach through the Gospel. Uh, we walk through the Gospel and we learn from that. And my prayer is, is that the Lord will build faith in you as you hear the Word of God. So today I want to talk to you about the temptation of Jesus. Last week we saw the baptism of Jesus. And you remember the word that came out of heaven? Who remembers what he said? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And what was the takeaway from that passage? Number one, which every person seeks in this place, outside of this place, your children, your husband, your wife, your friends, is a sense of belonging. That's what people seek, isn't it? A sense of belonging. This is what God said to Jesus, this is my son. He belongs to the Father. He's the son of the Father. And this is what he's saying to you and me this morning. You are a child of God. You belong to somebody. Not just to anybody. To whom? To the Father. You belong to God. If you came to the cross and he saved your soul, you are born again. You belong. And what was the second one thing that people are seeking? To be laughed. Isn't it right? People want to be laughed. They want an expression of love. And he says it, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. My beloved son, he says. And this is what we're seeking after. Know this this morning, that he loves you. I'm talking to you this morning, and I believe through me the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Because if you turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 5, you will see that this is what he says. He expressed his love towards us. That while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. That is agape love. It's a sacrificial love. He gave everything for you. What is everything? His life. If you come to me and you say, preacher, give me everything you've got. Man, you can take my car keys, you can take my home, you can take every possession I've got. I can go and sleep on the street. I've got nothing anymore. But do I still have something to give? Yes. What? My life. The moment I give my life, that's everything. And what did he do? He gave everything to show to you that he loved you. So what is the third part of that? We've got a sense of belonging, we know that we are loved, and we want to be praised. Isn't that right? You want somebody to come around and say, well done, good on you. We see so, too, too much, we see too much in the world where people are broken down. You are so bad, you didn't do that good. Look at you, you're rotten. Look at this, that, that. Don't we see a lot of that in the world? Yes. But if you turn it around, look, I've been a teacher back in South Africa. Believe it or not, I taught small children. And this moment you start praising them, you've done that very well. What happens? With inside of them something happens. Self-confidence builds and they go to the next step. Here God says out of heaven, look, it's not that Jesus needed this, but I believe there's a message for us. He's belonged, he's loved, and he's praised. So right after that, uh, we saw the witness of John the Baptist. He says he saw the Spirit of God coming like a dove sitting on him. And now we pick it up from that point as this man Mark writes to us. And remember, remember Mark is an action man. He wants to hold your attention the whole time. And he throws these words into his gospel, which you don't find in the other gospels. The word immediately. And, and he says it there, immediately something happens after the other. So without any further ado, let's look at Mark chapter 1 verse 12. Um, but before we go there, I want to start with this verse. Because I believe this flows into the message. I said it over the table this morning. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14. And if you've got your own Bible, I want you to go into your Bible and to make a circle around the verse and underline it. Underline it in your Bible. The reason why I want you to do this is because I want you to go this afternoon home and read this verse again and again and again and again. Because it's such a great verse. In Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 he says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest. 
You see that these letters is written in what? Capital letters. You see that? A great high priest. Why do you think it's written in capitals? Because it talks about who is that great high priest? Come on, you tell me. It's Jesus. He says, this is no other priest. This is not out of Aaron. This is not Moses. This is nobody there. This is a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Now that makes sense. And you have to understand that. He had to write that down. Why? Because if you listen to the agnostics, they say there's no touch between man and heaven. This is what Job cried out. Remember Job? In the book of Job, he says, Who is there on this face of this earth who can stand for me and reach out to God and touch God on my behalf? And what was the answer? No one. No one. This is why Jesus Christ has got the title Son of Man. Have you read that title in the Bible? Son of Man. That title says that Jesus Christ was the one who came from God, became a man, and He's the only one now who can reach out from man and touch God. This now makes it clear for us why He's the high priest. Now, for Him to be able to do that, is He had to pass through the heavens. And the only way that He could pass through the heavens is He had to die. He had to die, and he did die. He died on the cross. And what happened a few days later? Three days later, he was risen. Does that still excite you when I say that? That we serve a risen God? He was risen three days later, and then 500 saw him, the disciples saw him, and what happened then? What happened after that? Is is he still with us? No, no. The Bible says that he ascended on high. There were witnesses there. They were standing there. They saw him being taken away with the clouds into heavens. This verse talks to that. See how wonderful is the Word of God? You don't need books. You just need the Word of God. And the Word of God will explain itself. He says it right there. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, we know this is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. And now he qualifies in Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I just gave you the title, Son of Man. What does that mean? It means he reached out from the earth up to heaven. Okay? So what does Son of of God mean then? Son of God means where is Jesus right now? Who knows? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, yes? And he is part of God. He is God. Now... The title Son of God means He sits now in heaven. And what does He do now? He reaches down to us. How beautiful is that? How beautiful. Son of man reached up to heaven. He came, He lived with us. He passed through the heavens. He became our high priest. Now what is the title of a priest? The priest in the Old Testament was sent there to intervene for the people. To stand on behalf of the people. This is why God initiated the priesthood in the Old Testament. So what happens? Once a year, the earthly high priest will go into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and he will have with him a bowl of blood, which covers, which covers the sin. He will take the blood and he would sprinkle the altar. That was an intervention on behalf of the people. But what happened when Jesus died? The the veil was torn from top to bottom. You remember that? Everybody should shake your head. You know what I'm talking about. It was torn from top to bottom. And for the first time, not the priest only, but every single Jew who was in that vicinity could look right into the Holy of Holies and still live. And still live. Why? Because our high priest, he died and he torn it open. For the first time, man have access to God, direct. That means that when you go home this evening and you fall on your knees, you can have direct access to the throne of God. 
That means you can go in, my brother, as you prayed, and stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You don't have to get me to stand with blood for you. You don't have to bring me all your prayers and say, pray on behalf of me. You can do it yourself. This is what the high priest means. This is why we don't have the office of priest today. If you look in the book of Ephesians, he gives us five offices. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. There you go. And here we have the priest. He's sitting in heaven who passed through Jesus, the Son of God. Then he says, let us hold fast to our confession. This is an important part. It feels as if I'm preaching out of the book of Hebrews today, isn't it? Are we already learning something? Because now he talks about confession. He says, let us hold our confession. He didn't say, let us hold our salvation. Have you noticed? We need to hold our confession. The biggest problem today in the world is that people don't hold their confession anymore. They change it. They like to see, you know, the same Paul, he writes in the book of Ephesus, he says, some people are like the waves of the sea. They go to and fro. One new doctrine comes on and everybody jumps onto that doctrine. And another one comes on and everybody jumps onto that. Toronto blessing and all of these rubbish that comes around the world. Everybody jumps on there because they want to feel good. No, no, he says, hold on to the confession. What is the confession? Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior who died for me. Hold on to the confession. He is our high priest. And then he continues on to say, in verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. It comes straight from the Greek, that word, sympathizo. That's where we get our word sympathize from. Sympathize means I'm coming alongside you and I feel what you feel. He says, we don't have a high priest. You cannot do that with, uh, with our weaknesses. But, what does that word mean? The big theological word. But, sharp contrast, he was in all, everybody say all. What does all mean? Well, it means all, okay. <laughs> he says, he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Praise the Lord, he was without sin. Now allow me for a few moments to talk to you about the word tempted, because that's the word there. The word tempted comes from the Greek word, which means peirazo, peirazo. I'm not trying to sound like a Greek, but I think that's how you pronounce it. But it says peirazo, and this means to test, to see how one will behave. And we all go through these tests, every one of you. I go through these tests. I've been through a test this week. I will most probably go through a test this week coming. Perazo. And you see what it says there? It says he was in all points tested to see how he will behave in all of our weaknesses. He carried exactly the same. He was tested in every one of those. Now, that is a problem for some people to think, wait a minute, did he have debt like I do have debt? No, he never had debt on this earth. He didn't take out a personal loan and fell behind. He didn't go through that. But that is only a fruit that we need to find the root of. Did he have all the fights that I'm going through? No, he didn't go through all those fights exactly the same he did. But we need to find the root that leads to those things. See where I'm going? We need to find out what is these weaknesses that he was tempted exactly the same that we were tempted in. That's what we need to find out. And this now leads us into his temptation. This leads us into his temptation. This is the groundwork. I'll read it again for you. That he can, He's not a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we were yet without sin. So now we come to our passage as we go through Mark, and we read on. In Mark chapter 1, verse 12, he says, and what? Come on, you read it. And immediately, there's Mark. He holds your attention. He goes, this happened before you fall asleep. Immediately. What happened now? And immediately the Spirit drove him, capital letter, him, Jesus Christ, into the wilderness. Who knows what's in the wilderness? Nothing. There's nothing in the wilderness. 
It could be a desert. It could be a place like my uh, little image that I started off with today. It could be like that. There's nothing. There's rocks. We know there's rocks because of what, what Satan said to him at, at one stage. But he drove him into the wilderness. And in verse 13 says, And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. There's our word again. Tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. So we find the word tempted here again, perazo, is to see how one will behave. Now it's not as if God didn't know how Jesus was going to behave, is it? Because God knows everything. And when you are tempted, do you think it is because God don't know how you're going to react? No. So why are you going through tests and temptations? Why does God allow tests and temptations in your life? Why? Why do you think? I'll tell you this, is for you to see how you're going to react. How many times are you proud of how you reacted? A lot of times. <clears throat> how many times are you not proud of how you reacted? How many times do you think, oh, if only I could go back and change how I've reacted? Do you think that's a surprise to God? Let's, let's see how he's going to react in this temptation. I don't know how they're going to react. I Look at them. You know, let's, let's allow all these things to happen in his life. And then God sits on his throne, and I say this with the utmost respect, and he goes, oh, I never thought he was going to say that word. No, God knows everything. He, only, he even knows what you're going to think 10 minutes from now. That's the God I serve. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, omnipotent. So here he sends Jesus into the wilderness. To be, and, and you know what? He was for 40 days there. And he was tempted by Satan. Now, this temptation I'm going to show to you, and we're going to go back and we do some Bible work, was the same temptation that Adam and Eve had to deal with when he was tempted by Satan. It's the same. It's nothing new. It's the same temptation Adam and Eve and it's the same that we are dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. You see, Satan is so clever. He comes and, he, and, and you think, oh, he's so clever. He's got all these new devices. No, no. It's just the root is the same. And let's have a look at this. We have to rewind back to Genesis now. Remember in Genesis chapter 3? In chapter 2, God, the Lord God spoke to Adam. And if, you, if you've got your Bible, go and do this exercise this afternoon. Go in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and see how the Bible talks about God. He says, the Lord God, Lord God, and the Lord God said to Adam, thou shalt not eat of that tree. You know what I'm talking about? And the Lord God made this, and the Lord God made that. Lord is the title of God. It's His deity. You turn to the chapter 3 in Genesis... And now Satan comes into the picture. And do you think he has got respect for God? No. So what do you take away? The title. The deity of him. He comes from chapter 3 verse 1. And you can go and check me out. Go. Take your Bible. Go and look at it. Go in chapter 1 and 2 and circle the word Lord. And go to chapter 3 and see how many times you find the word Lord when Satan speaks. None. Zulz. And that's the attack still today on God. He's against His deity. There's two things Satan attack. It's the deity of Him because He wants to bring Jesus Christ down to man's level. And we see it preached in so many churches today where people bring God down to their level. And the second one that he attacks is the Word of God. Even today, it's not the right gospel. That's why in this church we stay verse by verse. We stay in the Word. I don't want you to come here and I tell you my philosophies about the Word or, or the story that I read. It's the Word. And here he comes. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 4 he says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For look at this. It's not for the Lord God. For God knows that in the day that you eat of this, uh, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God. That is important. You see, people read through this and they don't pick up these words. 
you will be like God. Because that's the sin that was found in Satan, wasn't it? Satan wanted to be God. And now what is he doing? He was casted out from heaven, and now he uses God's creation, and he says, ah, no, God's saying this and this and that. The only problem with God is he don't want you to be God. This is the problem. And he says it to her. He says, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So look at this now carefully. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, everybody say good. It was good for food, and it was pleasant. Everybody say pleasant. For, to the eyes, and the tree desirable. Everybody say desirable. To make one wise, he took of its and fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And we all know what happened. So those three things is the root problem of mankind today. It was the root problem in Satan's life. That's why he rebelled against God. And he's casted out. And now God made man in his image and in his likeness. And Satan comes now and he uses the same mold and he applies it to man. He applied it to Adam and Eve. And they failed. They sinned. Three things stands out. It was good for the food. It was pleasant for the eyes. And it's desirable to make one wise. And this is it. The first one attaches the physical food. That is that sense of fulfillment. Every man... Every man and woman today is looking for a sense of fulfillment. That's what we're seeking. How many times do you talk to people and they say, I've got everything, but I feel this emptiness. Is that right? You go to the richest people today. They've got all the money in the world, but they look so miserable. Why? Because they desire more food. Food we know fills our belly. We know that. And what happens when you're hungry? You're seeking food. And what, is, what are you seeking it for? To satisfy me. I want food for myself. What does the animals do? The animals kill each other to get the food. This is why people say to their young children, we come, we evolved from apes, we're all animals, let's kill each other to get this. And people do, not say, maybe not physically, but those days will still come. But the fundamental thing here is for fulfillment. And the first problem he came to her, he gave us something and he says, this looks good for food. I can taste it on my tongue. I want that fulfillment. The second one is visual satisfaction. That's our delight. We like things that is nice, isn't it? We want visually to see something that satisfies us. That is why one of the biggest problems in the world is pornography. Why? It's because now men and women, as young as children now, they want to be visually satisfied through what they see. Let's face it, we're going to be honest here today, are we? This is the thing. And Satan, what does he do? I mean, two weeks ago I was in Las Vegas. And if you stand there, uh, and we were on level 28, and we could see over the whole strip, and, and in daytime, it looks just like all the other places. But man, what happens at nighttime? Come on, what happens at night? You turn the lights on. Oh, man. Oh, that is nice to see all these beautiful things. And I get it. I was young as well. If I stand there and I see all these beautiful things and you hear the music going on, what is happening with your heart? It pulls you in, isn't it? Curiosity kills the cat, yeah? And he pulls you and you want to go. Satan knows that. He plays on that. And he makes all these things. It's all of the visual satisfaction. And then the third thing, <coughs> she saw that the tree was desirable to make one wise. It is a moral and intellectual progress. This is the discovery and an advancement. If you look at all of these false religions, what do they do? Just sit down until you find the Zen and you advance to the next stage. Isn't that what mankind seek? Why? 
Because man wants to become like gods. But who, who before man wanted to become a god? Who? Lucifer, Satan. We go back to the Garden of Eden. There it is. He came to Eve and he saw that the tree was good, this pleasant for the eyes and desirable to make one wise. Now, now here is the thing. All these things was in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that right? Because he didn't go out of the Garden of Eden. He didn't come to her and say, Hey Eve, let you and I go to Las Vegas. Did he say that? Las Vegas wasn't even there. Okay, that was the picture. He says, look, forget about Eden. Next to Eden, there's a garden. Man, you should see this. No, no, it was in the Garden of Eden. She didn't have to move. It was right there. So here is the thing. There is no problem with any of these things because it was in the Garden of Eden. The food was there. And it was beautiful. And the opportunity to, to enhance and to grow was there. But what was the biggest problem here? And it is right there. You can enjoy everything in context of obedience and dependence. That is it. Because you can sit here today and say, well, preacher, are you preaching to me and say that I can't have my black forest cake anymore? You know where I'm going with this. I love my black forest cake. No, it's food. It's not good for you if you eat too much. It's good. Do you want to tell me that God wants to say if there's something beautiful and I like to look at it? I, no, no, I'm, I'm not going to look at it. No. We are in this world and of this world, but not, uh, we are in this world, but not of the world. These things were in the garden. But the problem here was you can participate in context. This is the big key here. In obedience to God. What did God say? You're not allowed to eat from that tree. What did he want from Adam and Eve? Obedience. That's what he wanted from her. And that's what he wanted from him. And dependence. But you see what, what Satan came in. What did he offer? What did Satan offer her and Adam? One thing, autonomy. That's the thing. You see the foundation with which they partook of this was wrong. Because it started right there. He says, you will be like God. That was the foundation. He set that expectancy in their hearts and said, you will gain something more than you are. You will find that Zen place. You will become revelational knowledge type of state. You will go at a higher level. This is what he painted the picture. And the foundation was wrong. You will be like God. And what Satan said is, look, you've got autonomy. You can do whatever you want to do. Isn't mankind looking for freedom? We all do that, don't we? When I grow up, I want to become independent man. I don't want mom and dad to come and tell me what to do. I want my own car, first of all. I don't want to go where they go. I want autonomy. I want to do what I want to do. Then I get my car and I can drive around where I want to drive around. What does mom and dad say? Don't go with the speed limit. Come back at 12. Don't drive around 2 in the morning. Ah, rules? The, the reason why I've got rules is because I still live with them. I want to have my own place. I want to get out whenever I want to get out. I want to come back whenever I want to come back. But what happens? I get my own place. But you're not free because you've got to pay for it. Now you've got a boss. Now what does the boss say? You come in there every morning, your eyes, eyes are red and you're so tired. And he goes, what's going on with you? Oh, gee, I had a late night. I came in four this morning. Are you going to keep your job? So you're not free, are you? Oh, then I need to have enough money so I don't have a boss. So what do I do? I get into all of these schemes. Look, I can continue down this line. The problem is that mankind didn't want to listen to God anymore. They want to make their own decision. The offer, to offer man autonomy would have been to make him other man that he was created to be. God wanted obedience. Now what about a, a bird? Have you thought about a bird when you see them float? You can't have a bird float without air, can you? Can you? If there's no air, there's no bird. You can't fly. 
there's got to be wind that generates underneath their wings to be able to fly. Otherwise, I'm flying down to Gold Coast this afternoon. These big airplanes, have you seen them? How much tons do they weigh? It's a, it's a junk of metal, but they fly through the sky. What makes them fly? A jet in the engine for number one, but what happens? The jet flies and pushes it up, and there's, there's emptiness underneath the wings, and what happens? The wings circle, and then it pushes the plane's wings up. That makes them fly, but if there's no air, it won't fly. Can you make a fish swim without water? Man has to have obedience to God and dependency on God. Satan came and said, you don't need that. Now let me quickly hurry on. Can you see that Eve was tempted by this? Now let's look at Jesus. And I'm going to go back to Luke because Luke gives us a little bit more information about what Mark says. <clears throat> In Luke chapter 4 verse 2, we find Luke uh, talking about Jesus going now to be tempted. He says, I'm being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And look at this. I believe there might have been more temptations during that 40 days. But this says that after the 40 days, he ate nothing for 40 days. There's nothing in the wilderness. He was hungry. It's so beautiful how the other word of God is. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, he was now on the earth. Remember the title, if you are the one who came from heaven, that's what he's telling him. If you are that son of God who came down, if you are that man, command the stones to become bread. You see, this is what Eve was tempted with, the physical food, the fulfillment. This is the same temptation that Jesus went through, just different words. But he uses the Son of God. You see, he attacks the deity of God. The same thing that he said to her, not Lord God. He says, if you are that Son of God, you will have the power to tell this bread to become physical food. And you can eat it. But what did Jesus say? I love this. He said to him, it is written. There is the key to get out of these temptations. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. So what is Jesus in fact saying to him? My fulfillment is in God. And it's written in his word. That's what he's saying. I've got my fulfillment. Secondly, then the devil taking him up on a high mountain. And what did he do? He showed him. What do you need to be showed something? Your eyes. What was the second thing that Eve did? She saw that it was pleasurable. Didn't she? Same thing happened with, with Jesus. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I gave it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. This is that young man standing there in Las Vegas, and those lights come up, and he goes, Woo, go, run, it's yours. Now he takes him on this high mountain and he sees it is pleasurable. How great will it be that everybody will bow down to you? What if I offer that to you this morning? If I come to you and I say, you've won the biggest prize in life. Forget Lotto. Their biggest prize can't come to this. Every single man on the planet of this earth will bow the knee to you. What does that mean if everybody bow the knee to you? It means you own everything, isn't it? Who will say no to that? You see, it was pleasurable for the eyes. It's a visual satisfaction, a delight, the same thing. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For what? There's the key. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. So all of the things of this world became strangely dim. They don't attract you the same. Then finally, then he brought Jesus to Jerusalem. Jerusalem! Set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And this is true. 
You see how clever this is, and I can keep you here for more, but I won't do that. When you go through all three of these temptations, first of all, Satan uses scripture, but he uses it out of context. He uses it out of context. And every time, what does Jesus do? He puts it back in context. There's a false teaching going on in the world under the banner of Christianity today. But a lot of them use the scripture out of context. And here he does the same. Look, even now, he, he starts quoting scripture because Jesus said to him every time back, it is written, it is written. And now he uses the written word. He says, here it is. If you jump off, see if the angels is going to catch you. And what is the temptation here? It's the same that Eve had, is to make one wise. It is discovery and advancement. So what happened if Jesus would have jumped? Have you ever thought about that? If Jesus said to him, okay, I'm going to jump, and he jumps, what would have happened? The angels would have caught him. They would have. Because God's not a liar. It has been prophesied that he will do that. He uses the prophecy. The angels would have caught Jesus. But did Jesus know it at that point in time when he stood on the, on the pinnacle? No, you had to jump to see it physically happen. If, if you eat of that tree, you shall surely not die. Did she believe him? Yes, he took from the fruit to see what's going to happen. You see, there again, it's discovery and advancement. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until the opportune time. Three temptations. Good for food, desirable for the eyes, and for the pride of life. For that discovery and advancement. Now let me finish this morning by saying, if it was so with Satan back in heaven when he was there and cast out of the, onto the earth, if it's the same in the Garden of Eden, and if it's the same that Jesus Christ was tempted with, will it be the same for you and me today? Absolutely. Every sin upon the face of the earth today can be drawn back to these three temptations. Every one of them. Idolatry, back to this. All of them, unfaithfulness, back to this, stealing, back to this, gossiping, back to this. Every single thing comes back to these three things. This is the foundation. Remember when he says he's a high priest who went through the heavens and has been tempted with all that we were tempted with? You remember that verse? It's this, these three things. Now let me show you. John warns us, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says to you and me, he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. Do not love the world and the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What love is he talking about there? It's the Greek word agape love. And in John he says, God is agape. What is agape love? Sacrificial love. What happens when the Lord saves your soul? His Spirit comes and lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit. What is that Spirit? It's agape. The love of God comes and it lives inside of you. Now John says, if you love the world, that love is not there. Go back. Fall on your knees again and say, Lord, am I saved? Please save my soul. That is what we need to do. And now he goes, he says... If anyone loves the world and he loves the Father, is not in him. For, verse 16, all that is in the world. Now he's going to give us our three temptations as same. Garden of Eden, uh, tempting Jesus and us. He says, for all that is in the world, the same thing, the lust of the flesh. You see that? What is that? That's the physical food and fulfillment. Same with Eve. Same with Jesus. Make these things bread. Same to you and to me today. Fulfillment. Where do we find our fulfillment? In Him. In Jesus Christ. He said, I am the bread of life. He says, I am not the manna that your forefathers found in the wilderness. I am the bread of life. You have to eat the bread of life. 
One day there were, there were thousands of disciples following him. He just multiplied the fish and the bread. Now people are after him. For what? For the physical food. He's our income producer. He can, he can sustain us. He can look after me. Autonomy. I don't have to make that. I am free. I, I don't have to look. I don't have to work all of these things anymore. And then Jesus turned around to them. He says, if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have none of me. What happened? The Bible says that all of them went. A lot of them went. How can we eat you? We're not cannibals. We're not going to eat. Who's going to eat your pinky and your big thumb and your... Who's going to eat a little toe? I don't want... Ah, yuck! I don't want that. Who's going to drink your blood? Who in this place drinks blood? You see? You see how it cuts down? But it touches you and me this morning because it is fulfillment and our fulfillment is in Christ. And, and he goes on to say the lust of what? The eyes. Here we go again. Is visual satisfaction and delight. Same with Eve. She saw that it was good and pleasurable. Same with Satan. He says, if you bow down to me and worship me, I'll give you all of these things. And let me tell you, the world is bowing down to Satan. And it's only now that they found out that he cannot give them everything in the world. These rock stars, mu music rock stars, as they call themselves, what do they do? They take drugs, they want to go higher, they die of that drugs. Anything. Then he says, it is the first one is the physical food. He says, watch out for this. This is all of the world. The visual satisfaction and then, and the what? The pride of lies. This is discovery and advancement again. The same with Eve, the same with Jesus, same with us. And he's not the father, but he's of the world. And then he says in verse 17, And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He abides forever. Have we learned something today out of this? Can you see that when we started with Hebrews and we said we have a high priest who went through heaven and he was tempted with the same weaknesses that we were tempted with, there you have the temptation that he was tempted with. Did he fail? No. That's why he is our high priest, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior, every single way. Now, I want to show you this just quickly. Mark chapter 1, verse 12, when he says he was tempted and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted, and he was with the wild beasts. Have you read that? Have you ever given it a little bit more thought? What will wild beasts do with you? What will a wild beast do with you? He will kill you. But he was with them. Who was also with wild beasts and he didn't kill them? The first Adam. You remember? In the garden. The first Adam was there and the wild beast didn't kill him. It was only when sin entered and it was given for the, the fear of man came into animal. This, go and read your Bible in Genesis. It's all there. It's foundational. The fear of man came into animal. So animals started to fear man and they started to, that's when wild beasts started killing also, man didn't eat meat. So I'm not going into, let, don't read in my words now, and I'm not perfectly preaching that we also become vegetarians because I love my steak. Okay, I love my T-bone steak. I absolutely love it, okay? But lions didn't eat meat. They ate grass. Lions, yeah. Go read your Bible. It's only when they came out of the ark that the Word of God says that it's now for man to eat meat. It is in the Bible. So why am I saying this? Because we see the first Adam, he was with the wild beast. And here we have the second Adam. And he was with the wild beast. And they didn't kill him. He had authority over the wild beast. How wonderful is that? And then, he says, and the angels ministered to him. It shows us the authority over wild beasts and the authority over angels. The high priest we have. The high priest. Now, if we look at Psalm 95 verse 8, I put this in here because there's one of two things a man can do in the wilderness. 
You can harden your heart or you can do what Jesus does, stay obedient. What happens when you harden your heart? Psalm 95 tells us. He says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the days of trial, there's our test again in the wilderness. So God is so wonderful, brother and sister. I just showed you now the foundation of the attack of Satan upon your life to test and deceive you. And now he gives us an example. Who was that example? A nation that he chose. And he took that nation where? When they came out of Egypt. Where did he take them? Mesopotamia with all of the milk and the honey of anything. No, no, where did he take them? Into the wilderness. Why did they go into the wilderness? To test their hearts. God allows tests in your life. He took this nation into the wilderness. And who knows that whole history? I haven't got time to go over the whole history. Were they happy with it? No, they complained from the day to the evening, from the evening to the morning, from the morning to the night. Every single day. God gave them manna. No, no, we don't want manna. We want steak with manna. So he gave them birds, quail. They would just fly and they could catch them and they ate. And after a while it became tame in their mouths. No, 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 we want better food than that. Then, then they wanted water. They got bitter water and complained. Then, then he threw a, a tree into the water, became good water to drink. At one stage, Moses got so frustrated, he hit the rock, penalized upon him. Why? Because of the moans and the groans of the people. And here we find it, Psalm 95, verse 8, he says, Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as in the days of trials, in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me. Though they saw my work, one would have thought what they saw. For 40 years I was grieved with this generation. I said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I had a man one day, and I'll quickly tell you this. It's been 25 years now in ministry. I had a man come to me and he complained Every single time he came to me about his wife and his children, his wife and his children, his wife and his children, he wasn't happy with her. And because he wasn't happy with her, he wasn't happy with the children. And I asked him one, I said, do you love them? Oh, yeah, I love them. I love my wife and my children. Oh, you got to ask that question. If only she could change it to be this and this and this and that. And I was praying for this man. And you know what? One day when I was praying and I mentioned his name before God, this passage came up and I asked God, why? Why would this passage come up? What's the message here? And it, it, it dawned upon me. And the next time he came to my house, we sat down and he opened up his mouth and I said, before you say anything about your wife and your children, are you ready to lose them? He said, what do you mean? I said, doesn't matter which way. Are you ready to lose them? Get in your car and they're not there anymore. Oh no, that would be a shock. I said to him, well, if you look at the passage in the air, if you keep on complaining about something and moaning and groaning, God will take it away. And you will have to live with the consequences. That was the last time he spoke to me about his wife and his children. A few years later, they moved away. I don't know who he's talking to about now, but that's the message. You see, the taste... You can harden your heart or you can come and do what Jesus did. I leave you this morning as you just prepare. If you, somebody can call my lovely wife to come do the last song. Romans 8, 12. Uh, uh, Paul writes to Romans. He says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Paul goes one step further now, okay? If you look at this now, if you look at the temptation that came through, remember when John warned us, he says, do not love the world and the things of the world, and everyone loves the world. You remember this? And he was talking about the flesh. Paul goes one step further now. He says, brethren, if we are dead, it's not of the flesh. You see, there's the word flesh. To live according to the flesh. Now, if you do that, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We go back to Genesis again. Everything goes back to Genesis. Remember when Satan stood in front of Eve, what did he say? Oh, surely, if you eat of that fruit, you will not die. So what happened? Think this through. 
She took off the fruit, whatever fruit it was. Some people say it's an apple, that's not true. She took off the fruit and she ate of it. Did she die? I mean, Adam was there. Adam was a coward. Why he didn't take the first bite? He said, let the wife eat it. If there's poison in it, she'll die. I'll have a look. <laughs> she didn't fall down on the ground and die, did she? No, she gave it to Adam, and he took and he ate whatever he ate. Did he drop down? <gasps> drop down to the ground? So somebody would say, oh, wait a minute, God's a liar. Now, what was he talking about? He died with the relationship with God. The inside man was broken with God. That is why now if you die, you're on your way to a place you don't want to be, hell. Separation from God. But what happens if you get born again? You live. He touches on this. He says, if you live according to this, you will die. But if the Spirit of God, who you put to death in the deeds of the body, you will live. He talks about salvation here. And I'm getting to the point in verse 14. He says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Praise the Lord. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then the heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. Are you happy to suffer with Christ? If you suffer with Christ, you have to say no to some of these things. And you have to say no when the temptation comes. And you have to say... It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written that we shall not tempt God. You see the three? I won't repeat that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word, which is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's living, Lord. And it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And it is the discerner of our hearts. And Father, this morning I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you sustained my voice this morning to preach this sermon. Thank you, Father, for this word that cut our hearts. And help us, Lord, to identify the vials of the enemy. Identify the root of the attack and the test upon our days every day. Help us with the Holy Spirit, because we can't do it in our own strength, Lord. We can't sustain ourselves. We need you. Father, And we want to be obedient and in submissive.